Uh, this is uh, this is our third show on uh, you know talking about uh, partnerships and manufacturing and and to me I, one of the things I added to that was uh, making waves because to me making waves is a good thing. Uh, it's not a negative. Uh, so today on this uh, program with our, our buddies from uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio who. Alyssa, if you don't know, you should get to know because they're they're pretty. They are manufacturers who decided to start a radio station about manufacturing. So <laughs> interesting guys and 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 two great friends of mine. So uh, we have Alyssa Rodriguez from the Alaska MEP, which is kind of cool because uh, they deal with manufacturing a lot different than we do in New Jersey. Uh, I'm going to start. Uh, obviously, many of you know that the the MEP system is a national uh, network. Uh, we're in 51, 50 states and Puerto Rico. I uh, got to give a shout out to my Migdalia down in Puerto Rico. I mean, you know, she she said I didn't do that in the first two, so she <laughs> she sent me a text complaining. I love you, Migdalia, but. Uh, you know, we, we want to bring some direction to what happens in this industry uh, and especially, you know, how we are able to engage not only in our states, but across state lines. And and that's why it's great to have uh, Alyssa here. Uh, we were just gabbing a little bit beforehand. You know, I know that she has uh, you know some background in, in forest management and, and so on. So. Uh, and, and natural resource uh, econo economics, which to me is kind of cool, but uh, I'm a geek, I'm an engineer. So, uh, you know, uh, Alyssa, why don't you give a little bit of background on you and how you got to this point at being in Alaska MEP? Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I did start off with uh, forest, forestry, forest management, and then I really, I liked forest economics. So I got into forest economics. Um, and then we lived in Alaska before uh, and wanted to go back. And when I was looking around, I, I couldn't really find forest economics jobs. As you can imagine, they, they aren't, they aren't pro, uh, prolific. And, and I found a job in, uh, in labor economics and I, I had enough to be able to come up and, and take a crack at the job. And so I actually ended up working in labor economics for over a decade and, and learned a lot about Alaska's economy as a whole uh, during that time and still have a, a love of numbers and data and just all that, all that sort of stuff. I can't give a presentation without numbers in it. Like it just pains me to have a PowerPoint that doesn't, that isn't just filled with beautiful graphs. Um, and so, and from there, I, I just got really involved and excited about Alaska's economy. And, you know, as a labor economist, always had to be really impartial and unbiased and, and objective about, you know, this is the data, um, you know, when it comes to what can we do about it and all that, I, I just, I couldn't weigh in and really, but wanted to. And so from there, I went to economic development. And then from economic development, I eventually came over to the MEP. Um, thought it was a really neat opportunity. Like we need economic diversification in Alaska, like really, really bad. And so I thought this was a perfect opportunity to be able to, to work with, with, you know, 
the, that particular industry that I saw a lot of promise in, um, not just, you know, with individual businesses, but, but for the economy as a whole. So. Uh, yeah, I, it, I think there's a good tie-in to be honest with you. You know, I mean, to me, a lot of things that we don't look at to, to be manufacturing, uh, really is manufacturing, you know, and, and forestry and, and, and farming to some extent, uh, obviously you got food processing behind you. And I know that's big up with you guys, but also, you know, printing, labeling, all of these things, part of the supply chain. So it's absolutely mm -hmm. critical, uh, that we tie these things together and don't apologize for liking numbers. I'm, I'm a, my PhD, I'm a, I'm an engineering geek, uh, as I said, and, uh, you know, numbers, it drives my guys crazy here when I pull out this and I say, well, this is the numbers and this is the percentage of what happened. And, you know, here's where we should be and what, and, you know, they just roll their eyes. It's like being in a fifth grade class again. So, uh, I wanted to tie into something you just said, um, you know, about uh, diversification, because I know, I mean, we look at Alaska in, you know, in one way, and, and as I told you, I did projects in Alaska and saw a different side to the state, you know, many times all we see is the, you know, life below zero TV shows and things like that, which are intriguing, but uh, they really want to show uh, the wilderness side, but there's a lot more to it than that. And uh, I know that in prior conversations, we talked a lot about food processing, seafood processing as part of it, but also how does it tie into, you know, other things that are important, like, you know, tourism is big in, uh, in Alaska. What have you seen over the past year, you know, and issues that may have gone astray or mm -hmm. you know i mean obviously we've all dealt with COVID, so would love to get your insights there yeah so i, I think you know when, when we we talk about alaska's economy i think oil often comes to mind seafood comes to mind and those those really are you know our our biggest sectors and and then we've got tourism and um you know from from an inside perspective there's often I want to say tourism is often looked at as as maybe not being as important because so much of what we sell to tourists comes in from outside. You know, you, anywhere you go, you can pick up little tchotchkes that didn't come from the place that that you are in. You know, we import them and then we sell them right back out. And people come for a short amount of time. Most of our visitors are cruise ship passengers, and cruise ship passengers typically don't spend as much time or money as independent visitors. And so, I, I it's kind of gotten a bad rap as really not being that impactful. And I think COVID, I really opened people's eyes to just how just how impactful it is because it was gone, and and just how many uh, connections it had to so many different industries. And I think it's easy to just think like, oh, well, you know, the cruise ship passengers come up, uh, they, they buy some tchotchkes, they might have a couple of snacks, do a couple of shore excursions, and then they leave and, and that's it. And when they weren't here, we really saw how, how impactful that, that is. You know, they don't just have a couple of snacks. They, they help our bars and restaurants. They don't just buy a couple of tchotchkes. They keep all the businesses, you know, slight exaggeration, but all the businesses in downtowns afloat. And so many of our manufacturers, when I was talking to them, 
said, oh yeah, we're really struggling because we don't have any, any visitors and they are primarily who we sell to. That's where we get the most of our, you know, our money over the course of a year. And I didn't realize how many of our manufacturers were so closely tied to, to tourism in that way. Um, and, and I think part of it's just because when we look at Alaska's manufacturers, 81% are, are 20 employees or less. So, you know, we have a few that are really large and they're primarily seafood processors. Everybody else is small. Um, I, just about everybody else is, is small. And a lot of those small manufacturers are selling products directly to tourists or, you know, they, they sell jam that goes in a store that goes to a tourist uh, and those sorts of things. And so it was, it was, had a much bigger ripple that I had ever expected to see, particularly in manufacturing. Not that I didn't think it was important, not that I didn't think it would have a ripple effect, but I just didn't expect to see it so strong in manufacturing. Uh, so, so that's been really interesting, just how much of a hit our, our manufacturers took. One of the things that's been interesting is as we've continued to talk to manufacturers um, you know, throughout the year as COVID progressed and you know, hopefully maybe on the, on the downswing, there so many of them are are looking for for growth and scale up you know they're not just um trying to skate by they're not just trying to keep the lights on but they're actively looking at opportunities to grow they've done a you know a pretty good job of connecting to whether it's online sales or you know distributors they're, they're really actively looking at how can i diversify my client base not just i'm going to wait for the tourists to come back um so i i, I don't know if that kind of kind of gets to that part but yeah it was it was eye-opening for me um and and really encouraging to see what they're doing in response well i think that's interesting because you know in new jersey you know i mean we have nine million people in a small state you guys have a, about a million people in uh, uh in a huge country uh <laughs> but uh you know what we saw and we worked very hard with our governor to to keep manufacturing essential because we're a supply chain state. You know, we don't make a lot of end product, but we make a lot of product that goes in other products. Um, so what we saw uh, was an uptick, you know, you know, where, uh, you know, companies were getting huge orders for things, food products, you know, oh, you know, life science is big in New Jersey. So what do you do there, you know? And we're not just talking about the large, uh, you know, the pharmaceuticals, the average company in New Jersey for manufacturing is 34 people. That's the average. So it's not a big uh, number to begin with anyway. And that's pretty much across the nation. Small businesses rule our industry and that's kind of cool, you know, yeah. for, you know, in my opinion, but you know, it, it was interesting how we, we had certain things that were happening and I didn't realize until talking to you what was happening in Alaska. And I, and part of your conversation with me earlier was to talk about how maybe companies could diversify. And when you talk about import export, you're not just talking about import and exporting to other countries, but other states, I would assume, you know? So yeah. it becomes a, a bigger parcel of, of what happens. Plus I think, you know, and as I said, we're a supply chain state, so we do a lot of different things that go elsewhere. Um, but at least my 
understanding of Alaska in many ways is that you can't always rely on something coming in. So manufacturers become fabricators, become remanufacturers, become whatever needs to happen to make machinery work, to make this, you know, go on and so on. You know, I get it that the focus is on seafood. It makes a hell of a lot of sense to me, uh, you know, but, you know, there's a lot of machinery and a lot of needs for those those businesses. Where does that come from? And if it comes from elsewhere, that's not a good thing. And, and yeah, that's that's a great point. It's funny. I, I had a conversation yesterday about this and, and this this topic comes up so often. Because yeah, it, whenever we talk about machinery, by and large, it's coming from outside of Alaska. Um, and then even when it comes to repair and maintenance and those sorts of things, we just don't have the infrastructure built around it. Um, so you know, I've, I've got a guy who's you know, got, whether it's whether it's a lathe or you know bandsaws or anything like that, there's a really small group of people who are equipped to work on basic machinery, um, and so. We, we don't have, we don't have a manufacturing, you know, community up here that could even come together and say, hey, we collectively have enough demand to, to have somebody here full time that, that does this work. And, and that's a big issue because then you're not just a manufacturer, you're also, you know, a, a machine repair shop. And, you know, like you said, you're a fabricator, you're, you have to be everything because you can't just bring somebody in to do the work for you. Um, in a lot of cases, if you are bringing somebody in to try and help with with your equipment, they're coming from from outside of Alaska. So now you're paying all their travel, you're paying the per diem, all of this just to get them to come up and and work on a machine for you. So I mean, that's that's part of what we're doing is just calling up one manufacturer and saying, hey, I think you guys have you know a couple of people who work on your equipment. Would they mind going over here and working on somebody else's equipment? You know, would you be willing to do that? And and we've had luck with that sort of you know, internal sharing of, of staff who just happen to have the experience. And that's been, that's been really great. Um, but when we think about supply chains, you know, it's one thing that we're, that we're, you know, removed from the rest of the U.S. And that makes it hard for us to export, you know, to the lower 48. It's a big deal for our manufacturers to try to connect with a distributor who's down there. They're just, you know, that, that, you know, that separation, which in this day and age, you wouldn't think would matter. You know, you can pick up a phone, you can Google, you know, distributors, things like that. But the fact that it has to then go on a barge and all this other stuff to get down there and just being separated really makes those connections challenging. So for a lot of our manufacturers, just to get out of Alaska is almost as overwhelming or daunting a task as to get, you know, to China or to get to, you know, Europe or anything like that. It's just as daunting. And, um, and I think that's why tourism is so impactful because yeah, you you know, we, we actually have, it's around 730,000 in Alaska. So we don't even have a million. And so if, if our manufacturers limit themselves to only selling in Alaska, they're really limited. And so we get this nice influx of, you know, a million plus visitors every year, like, great, now I don't have to export. I can just sell to these folks right here. Um, and, and look, I, I have, a million more people to sell my product to. And, and that, yeah, that's just so much easier than trying to send it out. And then something that um, really became evident that I hadn't thought of before, you know, starting with the MEP is our internal supply chain in Alaska is, is 
fracture, I don't know if fractured is the right word, but it is, it's rough. <laughs> it's, it's rough because, you know, it's even just to get to, um, so from the Kenai Peninsula, Kenai Peninsula, you can, I want to say you can, you can drive to it in about an hour, but any of the communities are anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours, you know, away from, or even four on the far end, away from Anchorage. So just to get their product to Anchorage, even if somebody wants it, depending on how fresh it's supposed to be and all these other, it's, it's a challenge, you know, they're trying to find somebody who happens to be coming here. Um, and then, okay, well, they need their ingredients. They're, those suppliers might not be reliable. You know, if it snows too much and the past closes in the winter, you're not getting whatever it is that you might need. It could be something as basic as flour that, that you need. And, and it's not coming today because the past is closed or it's not coming today because the barge, you know, there was bad weather and the barge was delayed in coming in so they can't send it out to you and and all those sorts of things. And that's just the Kenai and the Kenai is so close. You know, you think about Fairbanks or, or anywhere else that's further away and it, it just gets it just gets worse and worse to try and get the products out to you, um, to, to get your inputs out to you, sorry. So yeah, that just just being able to sell to everyone, you know, if, you're, if you were to say, well, my market's Alaska, it's not really, your market is, whoever's around you because it's so challenging to get your product just out to everyone in Alaska. It, it you know, you couldn't, you couldn't sell ice cream to everyone in Alaska. You, you couldn't get it to them all. The, the supply chains internally just aren't there. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's an interesting look at it, you know, of how you can do some of this stuff because it, you know, you guys have that difficulty, um, innate, uh, difficulty, if you will, mm -hmm. but that doesn't change the fact that everybody needs stuff, you know, yeah. oh, and, yeah. and, and, you know, uh, you and I have also had conversations, you know, how, um, focused I have been on talking about, you know, a national supply chain database and a state-based building mm -hmm. it state-based, you know, think about what we dealt with recently, not just COVID, but the tariffs. And we found out that the U S doesn't make a lot of types of steel and aluminum anymore. Uh-oh. Uh, you know, you can agree with the political aspects or disagree. I don't care. But we, we learned a hard lesson. And then, you know, you bring in a pandemic and things aren't coming in. And we find out things like 95% of the United States' uh, blood pressure medicine is made in China. 95%. Mm -hmm. That's insanity. And, and yeah. look, I'm not judging China or anything else. It's just bad business to single source. Mm -hmm. So that's what we do. But I look at, you know, the problems we had in New Jersey during COVID. We, you know, we dug in and started calling clients that we've known. We have a, a basic database of customers and what they do. But we needed to find out more. What do you do? Can you make these components? Can you do this? Can you do that? Oh, by the way, you make, you know, uh, fabrics for gowns. Can you make fabric for masks? You know, mm -hmm. it, it just, and then we tried to tie in with other states as you did as well, I'm sure. And it's, it was absolutely daunting to think that in this incredible country, we really couldn't connect well. Yeah. And so... To me, that's making a positive wave if we can figure some of that out. Because look at the strength you could have just by being able to automate some of the things you were just talking about, how to tie, mm -hmm. how to tie your manufacturers together so they could support each other. 
Yeah. You know, and so they know who to go to for something. Who makes gears? You know, <laughs> it sounds like a simple thing, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not. It's a very <laughs> technical manufacturing process. Who makes gears? Every freaking machinery that you look at has a gear in it. You know, so the, these sound simple, but they're not. And they're very complex. And, you know, what we deal with in New Jersey is can be similar, but certainly, you know, and if, if you'd like us to send you a million or more people, please. <laughs> we'll we'll do what we have to do you know i mean we're, we're good with that you know but it's just you know I, or we could start air Alyssa, which would be a you know some type of transportation company because you know you you think about we don't imagine that in new jersey and this is not kidding if when somebody in new jersey drives 20 minutes they think it's too long oh, wow i'm serious you know you say oh i can't come to that meeting you know, and I said, gee, I've traveled all over the country for business in my lifetime. Texas guys would drive from Houston to Dallas for a morning meeting and then drive back, you know, and that's a five, six hour drive in New Jersey. Oh, 20 minutes. <laughs> so it's a, it's a matter of perspective, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, these are things that, uh, you know, you are, you were going, uh, you know, why we need to have these conversations and how we can work an hour and a half just for a particular cup of coffee i really want i'm gonna drive an hour and a half well you know you really want it but yeah you, you gotta want it you know at that <laughs> point in time you really gotta want it but, uh, before we go into you know one of the things i've been doing with these uh you know making waves and manufacturing partnership program is uh is a fast five where I just ask five quick questions and you answer off the top of your head. But I did want to ask you one because I know Olga made this note and it was intriguing to me. She said, what is a fact or statistic about Alaska manufacturing that might surprise people outside of Alaska? I'm now I have to try and remember what I told her so you uh, lied to her is what you're saying? I think I did. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> you can't remember it. It must have been a lie. So I think one, one of the things that I know, you know, we all like to think that we're different and special and all these other things. Um, but one thing that, that actually is different about Alaska is the majority of our uh, manufacturing employment is actually in rural Alaska. And I know that it's weird oh, because... That is weird. <laughs> because... Um, Jose, my my resource manager was like, this is wrong. This is wrong. I was like, I don't understand. Like, why do you think this isn't right? And and it's because there are seafood processors, our large seafood processors, you know, your Trident, your Peter Pan, all those folks. Um, they're not in Anchorage, you know, they're they're in Kodiak, they're in, you know, the, the Aleutians and things like that. And and they um, so we excuse our our employment to these incredibly rural areas and in some cases. Um, so most of our employment is in these rural areas when it comes to manufacturing, but the vast majority of the businesses are, are in urban Alaska. So, you know, when we're, when we're trying to do outreach and everything, we can still focus that outreach in, in some of the urban areas, but, but the employees are out there, you know, on, on what we lovingly call the slime line, um, process and fish. So, yeah. but also support 
companies need to be closer to them as well. So that that would, you know, I you know that it makes sense when you think about it, but that is an odd fact. And uh, mm -hmm. you know, I'll make sure I'll I'll fact check it with Olga just so that uh, see if that's the right I, one. You know, I don't want to catch you. You know, this is, you know, CNN will be fact checking us. <laughs> so yeah, but that that is cool. I, I do want to go into our, you know, uh, my fast five questions. And as I, I mentioned uh, to you before the show is that these are questions I get asked all the time. And I started sketching them down because that just, you know, I've got almost canned responses to them now. But uh, when I sat and looked at them, it, it just, I wondered what other states get the same thing. Number one, is manufacturing in the USA dead? No, no, no. <laughs> Do you need more? Uh, not, not unless uh, that you you weren't wishy-washy, so I get that. If you can only you can add more if you want to, but uh, yeah, I so it's it's definitely something that that we struggle with here in Alaska uh, is the perception, not even necessarily that manufacturing is dead, but that it never was that you know, we, we manufacture seafood essentially, um, and, and that's it. And that's not the case. We, we make, I, when I talk to people, even within their own communities and tell them about all the businesses that are just there in their own individual community who are manufacturers, who, who make things, there's, there's often some, at least some surprise, there's someone in that group of manufacturers I just told them about that they hadn't thought of as manufacturing. And, and we have such an incredible variety of things that we make in Alaska. They might be small, but did you know we make rocket parts in Alaska? We make parts that get launched into space and we make them right here in Alaska. Well, I, be I believe that, but most people wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. And, and not even like, oh, most people from somewhere else wouldn't think of it. Most Alaskans wouldn't think yeah. that we do it. You know, we ship airplane parts around the world. Um, we have airplane parts that go to France and all that sort of stuff. And, and it's not new. These companies have been doing it for a long time. And, and it's just that nobody, they're small. And so we just kind of think it's unimportant, you know, from an economic development perspective, but it's not. And with, with a little bit of, you know, maybe assistance, maybe somebody they can go to when they, when they have some sort of issue, I, I, I can't imagine where they will go. You know, a lot of other states have had MEPs for, you know, 20 years more. We haven't. So when our manufacturers have an issue, they're just they're they're figuring it out on their own. They're not they don't have somebody to go to to say, hey, can you can you look this up for me? Do you know where I should go? And now they do. So yeah. hopefully that'll make a big difference. Well, I get it, but it's it's similar in New Jersey. You know, we have eleven thousand manufacturers, right? My little town, which I'll say is my little town, has fourteen thousand people. It'd probably be gnome, uh -huh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but. There's, it's a very neighborhood community based, but we have eight manufacturers and people that have lived there their whole lives will say, where? Yeah. And I'll say, have you ever driven on Samson and seen, e you know, E.P. Heller? Oh yeah, well, what do they do? They manufacture. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's that mentality, you know, that comes yeah. around. Number two, in the U.S. economy exist, thrive, without manufacturing? Again, no. We, 
I, I, I won't, I won't wishy-wash on that one either. We can't, we can't thrive without manufacturing. I, and I think COVID was a, a really perfect example of just how hamstrung we, we will be as a nation when you have, when you have, you know, too much reliance on, on outside manufacturers. And, and I, I'm not trying to say that, you know, globalization is bad, you know, everybody specializing, whatever they do best. That's, that's great, but we have to have our own capacity to, you know, so, so that we don't have a situation where no one can buy a mask, you know, and, and those really basic things. And we're just, you know, I, I, the way that people rose to the occasion was amazing, but uh, at the same time, it shouldn't have been necessary. You know, we shouldn't have been in that position. Exactly. And if we imagine if we didn't manufacture anything, you know, or, or yeah, we would imagine how much worse that, that would have, could have been or something in the future could be. Yeah. Well, you know, don't hold back on these things. I want you to be. <laughs> Number three, why can't we, meaning all of us in this industry and MEPs included, convince our respective governments, state and federal, to really support this critical industry? Why do you think that happened? Ooh, I, that's, I, I got to tell you, I don't even know how to answer. I mean, I know, I think for Alaska, it's just because um, manufacturing is such a small part currently of our, our economy as a whole. I think it's small and it's easy and it's been pretty stable. Um, you know, it's, uh, seafood aside, you know, we'll have a good run. And so the, you know, seafood processing will go up or down and that sort of thing. But, but by and large, it's small and it's stable in Alaska. And so I think that's why it's easy to ignore it. Um, I also think we don't, we don't have that, um, we don't have a single voice for it and those sorts of things in our state. Um, at a national level, I don't know that I've got a good answer. I don't know that I've been, been swimming in this long enough to, to really have a good response. I'm curious, yeah, what, what other states would say. Fair enough. I mean, that, that's why, you know, we throw these out. And, uh, but think about Alaska without uh, seafood processing. And uh, you brought up the oil industry. To me, <laughs> there's a lot of manufacturing that has to do with with that, electrical power, water, a lot of these mm -hmm. things have ties to manufacturing to exist. You know, they're, they're oh, pretty yeah. yeah. So, but, you know, I look at it, uh, you know, nationally, one of my confusions is we were all so excited, you know, during the CARES Act, the first CARES Act, because MEP got $50 million. And that was incredible, right? We were all excited and happy and so on. And, and, and me too. Uh, uh, 50 million is a lot of a lot of money. You and I could probably live a couple of years on that. But uh, <laughs> but when you look at the uh, you know the agricultural industry, we've got billions of dollars during the CARES Act process. And I, I'm not saying they shouldn't. All I'm saying is that when you compare the two, uh, you know their importance is very similar. Uh, you, in fact, you can't have that farming industry if no one's manufacturing the food afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, so it just, it becomes confusing to me. And, uh, you know, if you listen to the show, the podcast, you'd get, get other people. So you got to actually listen. <laughs> I've only listened to one so far. <laughs> you, you, forest, you forestry people, you know, no, I'm like, 
Okay, Out, outside of workforce development and staffing, which you and I have talked about, what is the number one issue for manufacturing firms to overcome? Wow, that's a good question. Number one issue for them to overcome. Um, I, I, I can speak for Alaska, and, I, and again, I really think for Alaska, it is it's it's connection you know it's connection at the most kind of basic to the to the you know highest levels it's everyone is so small so nose down doing their thing um they don't know who else has the same needs they don't know who they could partner with they don't know you know who's got somebody who works for them who could work on their machine like we talked about earlier it's it's that not having the connections that would result in the critical mass to build the infrastructure around manufacturing. Um, I think that's, I think that's probably our biggest issue here. I mean, like I said, we have so many manufacturers who want to scale up and they, they don't know how to go about doing it and they don't have the connections that they need to go to, to make it happen. Uh, whether it's on their supply chain, um, you know, going back to supply chains, they, their suppliers either can't handle it. They don't know who else to go to. Um, they're, they're not reliable. We hear that. And so that hampers their ability to scale up, but, but they also just don't, they don't have any connections to anybody else to be able to, to capitalize on those relationships and, and partnerships to really grow. And, and you know, that, that's not uncommon. That's what we're talking about with supply chain. You know, why do mm -hmm. we, why do we rely on, you know, this source on only this source? It's, it's, mm -hmm. It's not a good way to look at it when you when you find out that you know an hour and a half drive away from you instead of a you know 26 hour boat ride you know you can get this part so yeah yeah the last question on this is uh you know what i get asked a lot by manufacturers in the state is are we gaining ground any uh, enough ground and fast enough are we gaining ground as an industry and, and i guess you know that's how it comes to me often and you can look at that several ways but i'm not going to influence you any you know yeah um i think i think again i'll speak for alaska i think we are gaining ground I don't, I don't ever think it's fast enough. You know, I, I came, the, the MEP started July 1st, 2019. I started the same day. And by July 2nd, I wanted to be 10 months ahead of where we were. It, it will never be, I think, fast enough. Um, but I do think that we're gaining ground. I think we're gaining ground just in terms of people starting to get the message that manufacturing matters. And, and as terrible as COVID is and and was i think it really did open a lot of people's eyes to just how important manufacturing is and then the question is well will they remember that tomorrow um or or will it be forgotten once we don't have to wear masks anymore um I, i'm i'm nervous that people are already forgetting it because you go to the grocery store and, and you can buy you know ppe so easily i'm nervous that people will forget that that it matters and we'll lose that kind of presence of mind we'll lose um will lose just people remembering that manufacturing exists and it matters and everything else. So I, I feel like we are gaining ground. I feel like we have gained ground. I don't, I don't feel like it's fast enough, um, but that might be more my personality than, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm, 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 this, I'm this similar, you know, I have no patience. So, uh, 
you know, I'll work my butt off, but I have no patience. But, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. but, but I agree with your, your, your thought process there when you're talking about, will it sustain itself? You know, you know, don't get me started on PPE because, you know, the masks that we're all wearing and buying and stuff like that don't protect us. Yeah. Don't, don't protect others <laughs> and so on. You know, the one with little, you know, my little kitty on it and stuff. I mean, they're cool, but they have no value, you know, mm -hmm. and, but everybody started making them. Why? Because people needed them and they're selling millions of them. But beyond that is that we, uh, we get into crisis mode, right? So crisis mode, everything's important. Reshore, you know, made in America, made in New Jersey, made in Alaska. And then we get past that and, you know, and then, okay, everything back to normal. And normal doesn't mean better. You know, I mean, we need, we need to control our supply chain. We need to understand what we need in, in materials and, and, and not just in, you know, PPE, not just in, uh, you know, blood pressure medicine. We need to be able to control and sustain our, it's amazing what we make here in the United States that we don't believe we make it here. Mm -hmm. you know, the people think that everything is made in China, Korea, Japan. It isn't by any yeah. stretch of the imagination. And, uh, but people don't know that. In, in New Jersey, when I first came to MEP after selling my businesses, uh, you know, it was 2012 and we had Superstorm Sandy right afterward. Yeah. And there was such a crisis. We got to, you know, we got to rebuild and we got to spend money on manufacturing and stuff. And I lasted about six months. You know, when everybody started to, you know, recover, it was okay, yeah. no issue. Mm -hmm. But that's just uh, the reality of, that's part of our job, right? The, I was thinking the same thing, yeah. You know, to, to be the voice behind that. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anyway, thank you for the Fast Five and thank you for being part of this show. As Thanks for tell, having me. I, I'm a friggin' rookie at all this stuff, you know, and, uh, you know, you know, the manufacturing partnership, making waves. I mean, that's my guy, Lou Weiss over at uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio. So we've been uh, on with uh, Alyssa Rodriguez, who's the center director up in Alaska, MEP. And the only reason she agreed to be on this was because I was gonna bring her up some Taylor pork roll from New Jersey and, and ski with her, you know, before the end of the season. But Alyssa, thank you for being on and uh, you know, we'll catch up with you soon. Sounds great. Thank you, John. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.